This morning I'd like to start on a journey through the gospel according to Mark. In this time of transition, I wanted to have uh, something consistent that we can come to, even though it will be a little disjointed with me coming every other week. But I want us to dig together into the gospel according to Mark, which is really the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. And as a time of transition, I want us to focus on what is most important, and that's the gospel. And that's where we can see the life that Jesus lived touch on his miracles and some of his teachings and see Christ, see Jesus Christ in the gospel account recorded by Mark. So with that said, let us read the word, then I'll pray, then I'll move some stuff around. So turn with me, if you will, if you have a Bible. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. It's just one verse. If you don't have a Bible, please let us give you one. If you know somebody that doesn't have a Bible, take one and give it to them as well. Spread the word of God around. The Word of God says, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is the Word of God. Let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Lord, may we hear from you today, even in this one sentence written by Mark Inspired by the Holy Spirit, let us hear what you have to say to us today. Open our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive that it changes us, Lord. Continue to change us. Mold us into that very Jesus Christ who we will be hearing about through this series, Lord. May we see him. May we walk with him. May we know him, know what he did, know why he came to do it, and know what he keeps doing. So may we hear from you today, love you, and love each other more. In the saving name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a prince who left his kingdom to live like the peasants. He lived among them just as he was a peasant. After living like them, he saw what they went through, and he sympathized with them, and he decided to open the gates of his castle and let them in. That doesn't, that doesn't sound completely right. Wait. Let me try again. Here we go. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there was a king who sent his son to live among the people of the kingdom. He did so, and the people weren't good, but he decided to let them in the kingdom anyway. Wait, that's, that's not how this starts. Let's hear it again, how Mark starts this true account of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There it is. This is how this true story begins, how Mark records this story. This is not some fairy tale. This is not some science fiction story. This is not even historical fiction. This is not some king trying to simply let the peasants in. This is the true account of Jesus This is an account of his life, his death, and his resurrection for sinners. Today we embark on a journey through this account. This is one of four accounts that we have in the Bible of Jesus. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this account was written by Mark, who is also known in the book of Acts as John Mark. 
The majority of scholars agree that he penned this account. The writings of several church fathers also affirm that Mark wrote this. We even have evidence within this text of Mark writing of himself, as we will read later of a young man who embarrassingly fled from the betrayal scene of Jesus. This gospel account is said to have been written around the mid-50s or the mid to late 60s A.D., depending on which scholar, which dating they go with. Either way, it's very early on after the death and resurrection of Christ. Again, most scholars agree that this account is mainly the Apostle Peter reporting to Mark what he witnessed during his time with Jesus. Mark is one of three Gospels called the Synoptic Gospels. A little technical term for you. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are three Gospels that are called Synoptic because they basically overlap. You might notice if you read these Gospels that there will be some differing accounts of the things that have happened. Now, this won't be a bad thing because it's actually not a contradiction that they defer. Some Bible skeptics will point and say that the Bible is unreliable because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of say different things. But this couldn't be farther from the truth. Each gospel is written with a different audience in mind and written to drive home different facts about who Jesus is. This is also why some of the events that took place might be out of order compared to some of the other gospel accounts. But this is not a bad thing. If you've ever seen a major event happen in history, you're going to interview several eyewitnesses, and you're going to get differing stories. This, these stories don't contradict, but they're filling in the whole story of what really happened. It's like if you have children, and you hear a loud bang in the other room, and you weren't in there to witness it, and you go in there, you don't just ask one kid what happened. You ask all the kids what happened. And somewhere in there, maybe you'll get the truth. But here, in this Gospel of Mark, in all the Synoptic Gospels, we get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Putting them together will give us a better witness of what happened in the life of Jesus. We get a fuller and richer account in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. The Gospel of Mark is also widely thought of of the first account of Jesus' life. Scholars believe that Luke and Matthew took and, and read Mark to help them fill out the story that they were telling as well. As I said before, each Gospel has their own audience and emphasis about the life of Jesus. This is why Mark seems to arrange these events in more of a topical sense than necessarily chronological in the order that they took place. Also, Mark writes more about the miracles that took place in the life of Jesus and a little bit less about his teachings. This gospel is filled with quick action. Mark likes to use the word immediately. You'll notice when you read Mark, immediately this happened, then immediately that happened. It's very action, rapid pace. And his main theme is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In writing of miracles, he emphasizes that Jesus is the one who brings the miracles the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Mark writes of the authority of Jesus in his teachings and his authority over demons, his authority over illness, authority over storms, and more importantly, 
Mark writes of the authority Jesus has to forgive sins. This drives home the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Mark also speaks of the kingdom of God that starts out small but grows into this giant kingdom. The small seed that grows into this giant tree. All these truths of Jesus are also what get him in trouble in front of the Jewish leaders. They see this man claiming to have the authority that only God can have. And even though they witness the miracles, they still don't believe the claims of Jesus. They don't believe he is who he claimed to be. In fact, they accuse him of doing these miracles in the power of Beelzebub, in the power of Satan. Mark also writes of Jesus as the suffering servant that Isaiah wrote of. Jesus says he must give his life a ransom for many. He must go to the cross as prophesied. He speaks of going to Jerusalem to die. And his apostles, his followers, are confused. They don't understand the very Old Testament prophecies that they had. Jews in our day still don't understand the prophecies that spoke of Jesus, of the Messiah that they were waiting for then. And they're so lost and confused, they're still waiting for this Messiah, but this Messiah has come. Mark writes of Jesus going to the cross. He writes of his death. But Mark doesn't stop there. Mark writes of the empty tomb. So through the life of Jesus, his calling of his disciples, his miracles of walking on water, feeding thousands with just a little bread and fish, healing the lame and the sick, casting out demons, forgiving sin, I pray that you will strive to know him more through his written word. I pray that you will see him without having to actually see him. Jesus says in John's gospel, blessed are those who have not seen me yet believe. I pray that this would cause you to look more and more to Jesus Christ, the son of God, where he can be found again in the scriptures. God has revealed his son through the written word. There's nowhere else we are to look but in the written word of God. Everything else, though it may be well-intentioned, is but a meager attempt to capture the truth of the life of Christ. But any image outside of what the Bible gives us is going to be a false image of Christ. We are to look to the scriptures. We need to look no further. There is no other special revelation, nothing else given to aid us into the life of Jesus other than what the Bible gives us, the God-breathed Bible. With that said, today we will look again at one verse. As we go through Mark, I won't go one verse at a time. That will take a while. Even though I'm tempted to do that. We will go through sections, but today I just wanted to look at this one verse. And we will also give you an overview, a survey of what this whole book teaches. But today we will look at this one verse in four parts. First, the good news. Second, the name Jesus. Third, the Christ and fourth, the Son of God. The good news, the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. So let's hear that one verse one more time. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here's the good news. While Matthew and Luke start their accounts with a backstory of Jesus, telling about his birth, and Luke telling a little bit about his childhood, Mark starts here with this sentence. And he will go on, in the rest of this chapter, 
to explain the Old Testament prophecy, prophesied of John the baptizer to come. We will learn more about that in two weeks. But Mark here, in this one sentence, he's basically saying, what you are about to read is the start of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm about to begin to tell you of the promised Christ that has come. What I'm about to tell you is good news. The Greek word here for gospel is evangelion, and it means good news. Simple as that. This word has been used prior than the Bible times. It's often a report that would come back from the battlefield that there's been victory. We have won. This is good news being reported by a messenger. We have good news. And oftentimes this has been come to be known as what a reward would be given for this good news to the messenger bringing it back. This is the gospel. And here Mark begins writing of the good news of the true victory the only victory that matters, the victory of Jesus Christ. He begins reporting the good news of Jesus Christ. He will continue to write of him and the good news of the kingdom of God. Matthew Henry says of this, It is a good word, a well worthy of all acceptance. It brings us glad tidings. That's Matthew's mission, or Mark's mission here in this gospel, to bring the good news, to bring us glad tidings. And what is this good news? What is it about? Or better yet, who is this good news about? To whom does this gospel belong? And who is it good news for? And this brings us quickly, immediately, to our second point. The name Jesus. His name is Jesus. In Matthew 1, verse 21, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. Joseph was thinking of not marrying Mary, putting her away. And this angel says in verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus. In Hebrew, the Yeshua. This name can also be pronounced Joshua. It's the same name that Joshua in the Old Testament had, who also delivered the people out of bondage. He delivered the people with Moses out of Egypt. So this name is not unique to our Savior. We even see in the New Testament other people named Jesus. But it is unique because Jesus, this Jesus, is unique. The name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the name that God gives himself. I am who I am. I'm Yahweh. It is the four letters, four Hebrew letters, the Tetragrammaton. This name is seen by many Jews still today as holy. They don't even say Yahweh. Usually when they're reading their Old Testament, they'll say Adonai, which means Lord. We actually see that in our English translations, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, Adonai. But when you see that, think Yahweh. This is the name of God. It is Yahweh. Mark writes, this is the good news of Yahweh saves. Mark is saying that this isn't just the story of your buddy named Yeshua. This is the good news of the true Yeshua. This is the good news of the God who saves. This is the good news of the God who has come to earth to save his people from their sins. This isn't once upon a time. This isn't long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Mark is writing this about 40 to 50 years after these events take place, saying, maybe you've heard of this Jesus, because I'm sure this story has already gotten around. Maybe you've heard of this Jesus 
that he's not just some tall tale. Let me tell you who this Jesus is. Let me tell you so you can know who he is. That you can know because he saw him. Let me tell you who this Jesus is so that you can believe and be saved. Do you know who this Jesus is? Do you know him? Do you read these scriptures and do you think it's just some story, some tall tale, something that can be some mythology? Or do you believe this? He's not just a wise man that gave good advice. The Sermon on the Mount is not just good advice. Living by the golden rule, do unto others, is not just good advice. The one who said it is God very God of very God. He's not a religious figure like Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad. He's not Gandhi. He is Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins. If you believe, the very Jesus Mark is writing about is the one who has saved you from your sins. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He will come and take you home one day, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. You're tired now, some of you. You're sore. You're in pain. You feel uncomfortable. You're stressed, depressed, overwhelmed. This is Jesus who has overcome your illness. This is the Jesus that while you suffer here and now, you can rejoice because you can walk with this Jesus. You can walk with him as you read the gospel accounts. You can walk with him as you read the whole Bible. It's not just the red letters. The whole Bible is the word of Jesus Christ. You can have relief now. And this very God walks with you. This very Jesus walks with you because the spirit has been put in you. How else does Mark describe who this good news is about? Our third point, Christ. The word Christ. Again, Mark writes, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. This isn't his last name. Jesus Christ, is, that's not his last name. This is a title. In Hebrew, it is Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, the Messiah. In Christ, we tra- it's translated Christos, Christ. We say Christ. The anointed one, the chosen one. This is him. This is what Mark is saying. This is the chosen one. This is the one you've read about in the Old Testament. This is him. I'm going to tell you who he is. Mark's audience was a mix of Jew and Gentile. Again, the Jews are familiar with this term. They were looking for the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the prophesied one. Here's Isaiah writing about it. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And then I'll read again what John read earlier from Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. In fact, this very passage in Luke's gospel is read by Jesus. 
Luke records this in chapter 4, verse 20. And then he, he records that J- Jesus says this. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah that Israel was waiting for. He is the anointed one bringing good news to the poor. He heals the brokenhearted. He sets free those in bondage to sin. He comes for the day of the Lord's favor. And those who do not trust in him will experience the vengeance of God in the day of vengeance. But this chosen one comforts those who mourn. He covers those who come to him in his robes of righteousness. Christian, he pours on you oil of gladness. Puts on you garments of praise. He plants you as an immovable oak. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And he's not just the Jewish Messiah. He is our Messiah. He is ours. He has come for you, Christian. He came for you. The promised anointed one of God has come for you. Paul writes of this in Romans 9, verse 25, as a fulfillment of Hosea 2. Paul writes, As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I shall call my beloved. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, God's chosen anointed one, promised to come, has come for you. You weren't God's people, but now you are God's people. But what will you do with this knowledge moving forward? That's always the question. What will you do knowing this? What will you do as you study and listen to this gospel? The account of Mark, the evangelist. Because that's why he's writing this as well. He wants people to be saved. He's evangelizing. He's gospeling. He's proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Powered by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Mark's gospel is the word of God. This is why Mark starts with this one statement. He wants the Jewish reader and the Gentile reader to know exactly what they're about to read. This isn't just some good news, again, of some local warrior that won a battle. This is the anointed one. He isn't just some great Greek or Roman God. He is God of God. He is the Christ. He is Jesus, the one who has come to save his people from their sins. And he has done that. He has saved his people. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one promised in the Old Testament, the one whom through God speaks now. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, in whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also created the world. The writer of Hebrews, he's saying, he speaks now by his son. You can actually take out that by. He speaks to us in son, as almost his language is the language of Christ, the language of Jesus. And he is his son, and that brings us to our fourth point here, the son of God. Mark refers to Jesus as the son of God. Jesus Jesus himself makes that claim in in the gospel accounts. And in this account, Mark records several miracles pointing to that fact. Jesus, during his ministry, did things only that God can do. Jesus cast out demons. 
Jesus heals various diseases. Jesus cleanses lepers, those who would not be even approached by anybody. Jesus himself goes up and touches these lepers, these unclean people, and he makes them clean. An act that God speaks of in the Old Testament as making men clean, he cleanses them. Jesus heals the paralytic, even saying to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven. In saying that, Jesus demonstrates he has the authority to forgive sins. The authority only God has. In fact, again, the religious leaders believed this man was blaspheming. How can this man have the authority only God can have? It's because he is the son of God. Jesus goes on and he calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. He was Lord over the Sabbath. He was being accused of his follow- him and his followers breaking the Sabbath. They were picking up grain and they were walking more than the allotted amount of times you can walk. See, they had these laws back then, these Sabbath laws. You can only walk a certain amount of steps. And I'm sure going through this grain field, these, these Pharisees were counting the steps. But Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus feeds 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish, and then later feeds 4,000 with seven loaves. Jesus walks on water. The very water created by God is walked on by Jesus because he is the God that created the water. He calms the storm. He controls the weather with just his words. Peace be still. By the power of his word, the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus is transfigured while Moses and Elijah appear with him. And this was witnessed by Peter, James, and John. And Peter writes of it in 2 Peter, verse 1, 2 Peter 1, verse 16. Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice, voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. This is my Son. God is saying he is the Son. He is his Son. Mark writes of many other miracles that Jesus did to prove that he is the Son of God, and we'll go through them eventually one at a time. These events prove that he is God. I heard a pastor, Neil Stort, describe how angels looked down from heaven during the earthly ministry of Jesus, and they could say, look at him. He's just like his father. He's the perfect picture of God. This is why Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus also said many things claiming to be God that the religious leaders wanted him dead for these reasons. Jesus forgave sinners, called himself Lord of the Sabbath. And eventually these religious leaders were successful in having him crucified. They plotted to have him killed. And he was betrayed by one of his disciples. And that was even foretold that that would happen. He was taken before the council. And this was a kangaroo court. It was not a fair trial for Jesus. And he was eventually handed over to Pilate. Pilate being the governor of the province of Judea. The, the Roman governor. And Pilate actually tried to have Jesus released, hoping they would agree to release him, as was their custom during the festival, to have a prisoner released. But the chief priest said to release Barabbas, who was a murderer and an insurrectionist. And Barabbas was released. 
Then Pilate asked what to do with Jesus. Pilate mocked him, calling him the king of the Jews. And the chief priests yelled out, Crucify him. Crucify him. Then soldiers led Jesus away. And they took a crown of thorns and crushed it on his head. And they beat him and whipped him severely. And then a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, was compelled by the soldiers to carry the cross of Jesus to the place of the skull, Golgotha. And that is where they crucified Jesus. They drove nails through his wrists and through his feet. And he hung there as many looked on and mocked him. Save yourself, come down from the cross, they yelled. Let him come down, and then we will believe. Then in the sixth hour, till the ninth hour, it was dark. Darkness. Darkness over the whole land. And Jesus cried out in Aramaic, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps he's feeling the darkness of his father's wrath against sinners. Those very sinners who he's dying for. That wrath is being poured out on Jesus. And also, Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. A psalm that the religious leaders would be familiar with as they looked on. A psalm that includes this verse, verse 6 of Psalm 22. But I am a worm, I am not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Those who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And verse 16. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count on my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. The onlookers mocking Jesus hear him say this especially the Jewish leaders, they will hear Psalm 22, have it memorized, know this whole psalm, and see this being fulfilled right in front of them. And they continue to mock. They pierce Jesus. They cast lots for his garments. Then Jesus died, and the temple veil was torn from top to bottom. The scene was even so powerful that a Roman centurion cries out, Truly, this man is the Son of God. Notice how Mark starts with that statement. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this Roman centurion, someone unfamiliar with the Jewish prophecy, says this truly is the Son of God. From the mouths of Gentiles. This man was not only the Son of God, but he is God of God. He is very God of very God. And he's also man. He is the perfect and righteous Son of God. And to prove this further, Mark writes that he was taken down from the cross and buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, also to fulfill a prophecy that he would be with a rich man in his death. But here's the whole point of what Mark's writing. That tomb is not where Jesus stayed. The Son of God cannot stay in a grave. A righteous man cannot stay dead. After three days when the Sabbath passed, Mary, Mary, and Salome go to the grave to anoint Jesus. This was the first day of the week. This is why we worship on the first day of the week. And they saw something amazing. 
the stone was rolled away. They were worried about who's going to roll the stone away, and it was rolled away. The stone was gone. I heard somebody recently say, not so Jesus could get out, but so they can look in. And when they looked in, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, and they told him what I hope John says at the end of the service today. He is risen. He is not here. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. He is going before you to Galilee, and you will see him there. Brothers and sisters, the miracles of Jesus say that he is the Son of God. The healings, casting out demons, forgiving sins, walking on water, calming winds, feeding thousands, say that he is not just man, although he is a man, but he is the Son of God. But what points most to that than anything else in this gospel account is this three words here, which is one word in Greek. He is risen. He is risen. The Son of God, very God of God, God in the flesh, lived for you, died for you, and he rose for you, dear Christian. Why? Because you sinned against him. Your sin required death. Your sin still requires death. And he took that death. A holy God must be just. And he has a holy, just wrath that needs to be poured out on sinners. But he, Jesus, Son of God, took your place on the cross. Perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why? Because God loves you. He loves you that much that Jesus died for you. He lived for you, died for you, rose for you. Never forget the resurrection. It's great to tell people of the death of Christ for our sins. But he also lived for us. And he's not dead. He's risen. Remember that part. And because he is risen, you will rise too. Don't forget that part. Your sins are forgiven, but you have resurrection now because Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why Mark writes this gospel broken up into 16 chapters. This is why Mark writes as carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is why he starts this gospel with this one sentence, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This morning we saw a brief overview of what will come in this gospel. And Lord willing, in two weeks we will point to the next section where we learn about John the baptizer, the one prophesied of to come, to lead the way, to clear the path for Jesus to come. The, the best man to the bridegroom. And I pray as we continue to see this, that we will see the true Jesus in the written word. May we see not only that Jesus is the Son of God, but he lived as a human being. He had flesh. He breathed the air we breathe. He ate food. He drank water and wine. He wept. He laughed. He lived a true life. He felt pain, and he experienced the worst pain imaginable by dying for our sin on the cross. The hymn we're going to sing next sums it up. To on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Amen. If you are a Christian, we not only live because of his death, but the hymn goes on. The hymn also says that there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost his grip on me, 
For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. He is risen. He is risen. And as we begin to go through this book of Mark, this gospel account, this true story of Jesus Christ, I pray you see the Messiah, the Son of God, given for you. I pray you believe. That's always the question. Have you believed? Have you believed? Don't leave here today unless you have. Talk to an elder. Talk to me. This is true. And we will see that. We will walk with Christ. We will see him in the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for inspiring John Mark to write this account. Thank you that it is true. The gospel of Jesus Christ, your son. May we continue to look to Christ through this series. Always looking to him every day. Seeing him in the words of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. But then seeing the life he lived, the miracles he performed, and knowing he still performs miracles. Salvation is the greatest miracle of all that any sinner can have in their life. So while we suffer at times on this earth, let us look to the blessings. Let us look to the life of Christ. Let us look to you and in your promises to us. To not leave us without witness. To not leave us or forsake us. That Jesus lived, died, and rose for us. For all who believe. And he's coming again. May we look forward to that day. Let us sing your praises. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Amen.